step into the mic today, Chris Miles, Ted Jeffries, and we got another member of the family on the show, G League assistant coach of Agua Caliente, my guy, Doug Martin. You got several titles, but that's your newest one. Congratulations. We're so happy, so proud of you, man. Uh, so tell us what it was like being down in the G League bubble and getting your opportunity to coach with the NBA. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, it was it was a ton of fun, man. It was uh, it was twenty four seven basketball, which is you know what we all aspire to do it at some point in our lives or our careers, and um, just just helping guys try to achieve their goal of getting back to the NBA or getting to the NBA for the first time um, was a ton of fun for me. Doug, you come out of the DC area. You know, uh, played in the, the great WCAC conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, early days, you got to take it back. You started at Gonzaga, finished at Mackin. Right. So, you know, you you uh, have touched two of the great institutions there. But they all pale in comparison to we know who the <laughs> Mecca is. Uh, but, we, you know, but, you know, let's take it back to high school, brother. You know, you and I go way back, five-star camp, WCAC. Right. But talk about your playing days and your experiences and how that's prepared you for where you are right now. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I played for some outstanding coaches, you know, in my career from, you know, high school with, you know, with Dick Myers. And then, uh, as you said, when I went to Mac and I played for Paul Fuquay and just just guys who, you know, demanded a lot from you um, and just, you know, you, you knew what you were getting every night from competition wise as well. So, you know, those are those are the things that have carried me um, thus far in my basketball thing, just having that solid foundation. But, you know, I, I, I always tell the guys that, you know, I was, I was never as good as any of these guys are right now. It's, you know, it's kind of amazing what, you know, what these kids can do and what their, you know, and what their ultimate goal will be for, for most of them. You've talked about some of the great coaches Doug, that you've played for. Um, what nugget, you know, what valuable piece of information have you taken from in, either one coach or all of these coaches that has prepared you to be the coach where you are right now? I, I think that, uh, and, and you know, TJ, we're we're the same age, so you can remember that there weren't many basketball ga- there weren't many basketball games on TV when we were growing up, you right. know. Um, so the CBS Sunday game was, you know, kind of the highlight of the weekend, you know, for for a lot of us. But, you know, TV has done a disservice to the game so, to me because it the TV has it only follows the basketball. And, you know, one of the things that Coach Myers taught me a long time ago was when you play a game, you have the ball in your hand less than five percent of the time. The other ninety five percent plus, you know, you have to do something else to make yourself effective on the court. Um, so that, I think that's the big that's the thing. You know, I'm 50 years old. I was told that when I was 15. And that's the thing that, you know, that has stuck. One of the few things that have stuck with me from, you know, learning the game to now hopefully teaching the game. That's that's crazy that you talk about that. Sorry about that, Chris. You know, because thinking as a big man, you know, if you have the ball as a point guard for 5% of the time, as a big man, I got it even less. I was like 0.5% of the time. Right. So. And, and what also 
you see the game different than a point guard does. I do. You never look at the basket. You know, your right. back is always to the basket. So it it is it's a dynamic that's kind of straying away from the game now, though. But you know, some some would even say I never looked at the basket even when I shot it. So you know, it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> John Gwynn and, and Gerard made sure that you had to pass the balls. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's the craziest part. When I think of that rule, I'm like, that does not apply to James Harden. That does not apply to these guys that dribble, 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 dribble the whole right, entire right. game. But yeah. it's funny because. The, those percentages are probably skewed even more so to, to guys who are playing off the ball. But as I, I think of some of the players that you developed, that you coached uh, mm -hmm. at the AAU level for team takeover and seeing how from the first time I watched them play, whether I came to one of your games, right. uh, like Hunter Dickinson. Right. I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, okay, he, he's tall. You right. know, like He looks like he could be a prospect right. to now when I watch him. I'm like, he's incredible. Big 10 right. freshman of the year. I think mm -hmm. the first time though was the national championship game uh, for team takeover. I don't know if that was two years ago or three years ago. Three years and ago. And I said, mm -hmm. whoa. Yeah. Like this kid has turned into a completely different player. He's amazing. Right. Uh, what is that journey like with, with these young men? Because these, this, these are such pivotal moments in their lives for them to go from, okay, maybe he could be a prospect to somebody like me who watches every professional basketball player to go, okay, he's amazing now. Take right. us through that process. You know, I, I think for, for us at Team Takeover, the biggest thing that, you know, we talk to our kids about is you, at some point, you have to get in the habit of playing with other good players. You can go to any other program and take all the shots and, 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 and your usage rate is at, you know, above 30% of getting the ball all the time. But um, just just having those guys around other good players and then it's been demanding of them. Um, so, you know, Hunter was one of the guys that, you know, we, we demanded a lot from. The parents absolutely support everything that we taught and, and encouraged him to do on the basketball court. So that that makes it easier when you know when he getting after practice that fight that that ride home when the parents are you know stamping what you just you know cursed him out about it makes it easier the next time he comes to practice to really be receptive of what you're teaching him. Yeah, it says uh, I guess you get credit for a hundred and fifty plus youth basketball players getting D one scholarships, but when I think about what you just said to me. Uh, players getting used to playing with high caliber talent. I, I blame you for this Brooklyn Nets team. As you can see, I'm a Knicks fan. And Kevin Durant has taken your mantra to a different level, man. Yeah. I mean, this guy's like, hey, James Harden, you the best, you arguably the best shooting guard of this era, maybe the best point, point guard, guard in this time right. period as right. well. Right. Hey, you coming to run with me, Kyrie, right. you the closer. I know I'm a two-time finals MVP, but come on, you come roll with me. Right. I blame you, Doug. <laughs> Is that an accurate assessment of the situation? Right. Well, you know. To, to be successful in basketball, I mean, name the last time a, a guy who wasn't, you know, was the sole all-star on his team won the NBA Finals. I think Elijah maybe. Dirk, maybe. I think Jason Kidd was, uh, I think Jason Kidd was all-star that year. That year? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great trivia question. I'm going to write yeah. that one down for my <laughs> next radio show. But I think, I think Elijah Wan was the last guy who was the sole all-star that won the NBA title. So, you you have to surround yourself with good players. You have to, um, you, you you can't in in a, I'd say in the NBA in an eighty game eighty two games season 
and the playoffs, you can't do it by yourself every night and then be there at the end. That's just, you know, my humble opinion about it. What's changed, Doug, in your opinion about the game? So as we're growing up, we're watching the, the league uh, and aspiring to all get there as all basketball players do. But now that you are, you know, a step away from it and, and really closely, you know, uh, related to it, what's changed about the game from our days growing up watching it to, to today's game? The, <clears throat> I think the, the skill level of all the players, but I think mainly the skill level of every guy that plays that's 6'8 or taller. Those, you know, TJ, they were all, they were all bigs. Right, right. You know, and back to the basket bigs. The, the dinosaurs of the NBA now. Exactly, you know, exactly. So, now, yeah. now every player in the game has to pass the ball at a high level, shoot the ball at an extremely high level, and be able to make plays for other players. And that's regardless if you're six foot or you're, you know, seven one like Porzingis. You have to be able to do all those things. So I think that's the skill set of all these players, especially the guys that six eight or taller, has has transformed the game to a way that I don't ever see it going back the other way. With that in mind, Doug, you know, let's talk about a kid like Luca Garza who came out of uh, Murray, you mm -hmm. know, big big ten player of the year. You know, two-time Big Ten Player of right. the Year. Right. You know, and is a unstoppable force in the paint. Right, has learned to step out and shoot the ball a little bit. But where does he have a place in today's NBA, or does he? I mean, I, I, I think, and and this is going to be an unfair comparison, but it's it, it's the it's the truest comparison that I can think of. I think somebody like Joker or uh, the big guy at Portland, Nurkic. You know, I think those are going to be the closest comparisons to what Luca is going to be able to do in the NBA. Now, Luca doesn't pass the ball nowhere near like Joker does, but Joker seems to find a way to be slow-footed, not a lot of elevation, and can still get 35 and 15 rebounds. I'm not saying Luca can do that every night. I hope he can, um, but I think that players of that caliber have to figure out a way to play with angles slow the game down for them, you know, things like that. So I think there is a place for Luca. I, I always said, if he's not a starting five in the NBA, man, he's a lot better than a backup five on every other team in the NBA. So if he's going against that second unit a lot, I think he's going to have a tremendous amount of success in the NBA. You got to think about the other side of the ball. Let's talk about it. I, I hate to isolate Luca here, but, mm -hmm. you know, defensively, he's not going to be able to guard. It's going to be challenged. And trying to guard the pick and roll, you know, and, hedge and recover, especially right. to a joker who can pick and pop. Right. And so, and, and this is what I've learned in my experience in the G League. I always felt like when bigs switch out and being an AAU coach, if there was a big that I felt that was slow foot, we would always ball screen that big and try to get them to switch. The one thing that I learned in the G League was those bigs don't switch out on the perimeter. Moses Brown dominated the G League this year and never left a restricted area on defense. At some point, you're going to have to come that the analytics in the NBA saying uh, elbow jump shot is valuable to the defense. So if if Lucas playing in the NBA and the guys are ball screening him and he's in a drop and they're just shooting elbow jump shots, that's a win for his team because the, just the percentages of that shot aren't that high. Now, if it's a situation where it's, you know, Damon Lillard, Chris Paul and those guys coming downhill on him, the, the best thing he can do is contest at the rim 
and you know, and and hope that they miss or that his guard can get back in front to to contest those shots for. Or do like you used to do at Gonzaga and screen for Dave Creedle. <laughs> Dave, get him at the rim. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You beat me off the dribble as a guy down there. Perry Carter can block your shot. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What's crazy is uh, you mentioned all these bigs and you name names and we could do it forever because they got to do both. Like mm-hmm. Jokic scores in the clutch with his back to the basket like a traditional big. If right. people sleep on that, so does right. Embiid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does DeMontis Sabonis. It's yeah. still valuable in the NBA, but when oh, I say absolutely. all those names, triple doubles. Right. Like all those guys get triple doubles. Mm-hmm. What is it? You know, there's this debate around basketball that, oh, the numbers are skewed now. I look at it as these players are skilled now because mm-hmm. we had five triple doubles the other night, right? four last night. And every night you get, you know, a, a center with a triple double, right. then you get a forward with one, and then you get mm-hmm. a guard who rebounds. Right. I mean, you get all of these things. Why do you think the game evolved in that way since the time you've been coaching? Because again, you're you're teaching these kids at an age where they have to develop these skills. Mm-hmm. And like I see Hunter, and I'm like, he became an, a, a better rebounder, right. and he was always a skilled passer. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that this guy looks like he can do it all, where that wasn't the case before. I, I think the biggest thing is the pace of play. I think everybody, I'm not going to say everybody, but 85% of college basketball and 100% of, of NBA, everybody's trying to get a shot off within the first six seconds of the shot clock. So that's going to lead to more possessions. That's also going to lead to more bad shots. So the more bad shots there are in the game, of course, there's more rebounds that are going to be in the game. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer that no matter what age, no matter what era, um, your best player has the ball the majority of the time. So if you go back and look at Kareem, when he was with the Bucks, he played with Oscar Robson. He touched the ball almost every time down the court with his back to the basket. Now you look at Denver, Jokic touches the ball almost every time down court, you know, because you you want the ball in your best player's hand making decisions and, and, and doing those things for you. All right, I got uh, two sets of two words for you. Okay. No security, Goodman League. Who are the guys that can go to the Goodman League with no security? I had this debate on the radio the other day, and because so we had a caller call in about, like, oh, who you can't have come back to D.C. sports. And I was like, Gilbert Arenas can go anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, no security at the Goodman League. Driving so a Maybach. T- <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell that story? Were you there that day? I mean, people tell that story. I, but, like, who I, are guys that are no security Goodman League guys? Um, I, I think for sure Gilbert. Um, I think KD is a definite guy. Uh, Michael Beasley is 100%. You know, uh, 1,000. Yeah, wh- <laughs> wherever you want him to play at, he's going to show up by himself. Um uh, let me see, guys. In, guys from this area that's in the league now that will show up at the Goodman with no security. Or even in the last twenty years. Uh, in the last twenty years, um, my man Trouble Smith. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, just about NBA guys though. But you know, for for those guys to come back with no security is, I think that's the way, that's the age of basketball now, right? You got to have. Wherever you go, it's two, three guys with you. You know, that was <laughs> that was the best experience about the bubble. There was no, you know, there were no posses, you know, going on. So it was just 
you know, strictly basketball. But I would say in my time, those three guys for sure could show up at the Goodman with no security. Doug, let, let me uh, play GM for a day. I just hired you as my head coach. Okay. Talk to me about your playing style is the first question. Mm -hmm. What would you implement as a head coach? Well, first, you know, as I said before, the way the game has evolved now that your pace of play has to be the number one thing that everybody talks about, whether you're a college coach, whether you're trying to sell tickets in the NBA, you, you have to have to make the game exciting for the players and for your fans. So pace of play is the first thing that we're talking about. Um, secondly, and, you know, and every coach says this, um, but you have to defend, you know, we're, we're going to defend, um, you know, we're going to play multiple defenses, you know, all that things. But, you know, I think offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. So um, the, the best thing that you can do is try to blend um, those two concepts together and, and, and make the most of what you can. Now, you know, you, you're going to get in a situation where, you know, you're going to be married to one and the other one's going to be your mistress. I always say this, you know, you, you, you have to, you know, you have to pay attention to both, but you can only, you, you know, you can only really lock in on one. So I'm a defensive guy, but if I'm being hired um, as a new coach, I, I definitely have to preach offense. My 14 year old son is a, is a NBA junkie. He's a college junkie. He asked me a pretty great question the other day. I was floored by it. Okay. He said that out of the guys that are seven years or younger in the NBA, Give me your top five if you were coaching the team. Who would you select? I'm going to start my team with uh, Luka Doncic. That's exactly what Ooh. I said. I said the same thing. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to start my team with that guy. Um, man, you, after him, you can almost surround me with anybody else that, <laughs> you know. Uh, but let's see, seven years or younger in the NBA. Is Greek Freak been in the years in the league seven years? Yeah, twenty thirteen. Yeah, twenty twenty thirteen draft. Oh yeah, 2013. He's in the same draft as Vic, I think. So mm -hmm. so yeah. Uh, so yeah, because he was taking. I remember that draft. He was taking thirteenth or fifteenth in that draft. Yeah, and Vic uh, went second. MB for sure. Um, man, uh, this is tough. Um. Jeez. I want to throw a name in there so bad. Um, man, this this is tough because you know I, I want to have a good team too. Uh, yeah, help me out, Chris. I mean, Ja, Zion. I mean, the list. If you say so Lucas first, I'm 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 not. And God, this this going to get played a lot. I'm not a Ja Morant fan personally. <laughs> I'm gonna take a flip side on this at uh phrase. Explain it, explain yourself there, Doug. Some guys am... some guys in the NBA are good enough to get you beat. Mm. I think Ja is good enough to keep you in most games. I just don't think he suits it well enough to actually win you a fair share of games. That's that's they're just still going person. under on this they, they are still going under on the screen. Yes, they are. And they're going under on the on the logo under the free throw line too for him too. So yes, they are. Uh, yeah, that, so that that's my struggle with him. Um, 
Zion's injuries, his size a little bit kind of worries me a little bit long term. But Brandon when he's Ingram, healthy, I would I would definitely put Brandon Ingram on my top five under five years in the NBA. Then uh well Jason Tatum, he's out there. You got Jason, uh Jason Jamal Tatum. Murray who's out there. You've got uh uh the kid, I'm sorry, I keep blanking on his name. That's what Utah, who's there. Uh, Donovan. Donovan. Donovan Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, okay. Donovan Mitchell that's yeah, out that's- there. So I'll, I'll take Tatum and Brandon Ingram with Luca, Embiid, and oh man, I don't want Zion and I don't want Ja. <laughs> Look at the South Carolina bias. And <laughs> he's like, I hate best thing I've had in South Carolina, Carolina is a meal. <laughs> <laughs> little barbecue, right? Little right, orange barbecue, exactly. right? Oh, well, all good, man. All good. So, Doug, when when I think of coaching, on a, on a serious note, I had this conversation the other day on Selection Sunday, actually, because mm-hmm. I look at Patrick Ewan and everybody happy for him, right? Like, oh, look at Patrick Georgetown's back. They won the Big East. But as a longtime Knicks fan, as you can see by the sweater, okay, yeah, absolutely. and absolutely. I think about the fact that this man was an assistant coach from 2002, mm-hmm. and I watched a bunch of guards retire in that time span, uh, and I'll just say it in this way, less accomplished than Patrick Ewing, who is right. a top 25 all-time scorer in this league, number one overall pick, national champion, and mm-hmm. a leader and a team captain for years, but it took him until 2017 to become a head coach mm-hmm. at any level. Yeah. After being assistant coach that entire time, then uh, it took him another four years to have his moment and to right. have his recruiting class in. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to a couple people who I'll say off the record said, you know, I think it's because he's big and he's black. Yeah. That is why it took Patrick Ewing so long. Yeah. As someone that has come up through the coaching ranks, what do you think of that assessment? Is that true? And is that fair? I think it's, I think it's, ex- I think it's true. Um, let's look around the NBA period and see how many coaches are former big men. So I I think there's a perception that, and you know, no disrespect to TJ, but I think there's a a perception that bigs aren't smart, you know, as basketball players or as people, whatever the case may be. Um, And I think that was a hundred percent. I think that was the case with Patrick Ewing. You can't tell me that that guy is not qualified to be a head coach in the NBA today. I've sat in his practices. I've sat behind his bench game. That, to me, one of the top five coaching dudes walking the face of the earth. Now, I haven't been in everybody's practice. I haven't been sat behind everybody's bench. But Patrick Ewing is a coaching guy. And no disrespect to his roster now. 13 and 12, you make it to the NCAA tournament. You beat three nationally ranked teams in your last six games. And and I don't know if there's a player on his team right now that can go to the upper echelon of the Big East and become an instant starter. So that just shows you his, what coaching is, is coaching what you have, not coaching what you had, not coaching what you want it to be but absolutely coaching what you have right now. And Patrick has done that better than anybody else in college basketball 
not, not, to, to me. not not to mention that he lost his leading score last year to transfer and Matt right. McClung. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's well, he, lost, he had four guys uh, transfer. He had four oh, okay. guys transfer. Right, yeah. Four. I mean, I, I, I right. and I want to say three of them were starters. Mm-hmm. And lose out on some some. I mean, I, I'm not shy about saying this. When Patrick calls me about a takeover kid, I do everything I can to help him get that kid. Now. It's ultimately the kid's decision, and Doug Martin will never tell a kid you should go to this school because when he has to run at six o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to be there. When he's getting cursed out, I'm not going to be there. When classes are getting tough, I'm not going to be there. So I don't want a kid coming back and say, "Well, Coach Doug, you told me to go here, and I'm having a miserable time there." So I I don't want that on my conscience. But I give kids every benefit that I every advantage and benefit that I know about Georgetown basketball and Patrick Ewing to help them help him get what he needs to get. So, Doug, why don't more of these uh, star kids stay home? Like when I look at the great players from this area in the past 15 years. And so, for instance, you know, I'm from New York Mm. and St. John's always got somebody. I mean, it was outrageous. You have a McDonald's All-American getting offers from Duke and Carolina to St. John's and Seton Hall. Like they would always get one or two. And I'm like, Georgetown and Maryland are more prestigious programs. And like you said, Patrick Ewing, you're telling me how great he is as a coach. And then I look at, uh, I don't believe Georgetown to be on Trevor Keel's, you know, his last five schools, Hunter Dickinson Mm -hmm. going to Michigan, props to Juwan Howard for landing him. But it's like, and definitely not Maryland. I mean, I've gone off the rails about how none of them even choose Maryland. So can you give me some insight? Because I am just perplexed by this whole situation. I think this goes back to what I said earlier to TJ is it's so many games on TV that I can go to Michigan and my family can see me play Mm. every game. So I don't have to stay home to do that. You know, and I also think that basketball is, I love, I love DMV basketball. I tell people all the time that high school basketball is the second most popular thing in the DMV outside of the Washington football team. Even when they're bad, you know, I still think high school basketball is a notch below that. I think DC basketball is also extremely toxic to these kids. They're at a young age, they're pulled so many different directions of saying this player is better than this kid. I mean, we we literally sit and match kids, 15, 16, 17 year old kids up against each other as grown men and say who in a public forum and say who's better than who. If I'm a McDonald's All-American, I wouldn't want to stick around here for that either. You know, and I've had this conversation with Trevor Kills. I've had this conversation with Jeremy Roach. I've had this conversation with Hunter Dickinson. It's tough for those guys to stick around here not knowing that everybody is in your corner. Every some There is somebody hoping that you fail that, that's either in your circle or just outside of your circle. They want to see you fail so they can say, oh, I told you so. Um, so I, I, I think that's what, that's what makes it hard for Georgetown and Maryland to me. That's just my own personal opinion. You got a kid like Jalen Smith, who we had, Maryland was his dream school all his life. I never, we, I've never had a conversation with Jalen about what school he was going to. Cause when he was 16 years old, he played for me. It was always Maryland and he was being rec- recruited by Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Villanova, all those. It was those schools were always chasing Maryland. 
Um, and I and and but I, I I will also say this, and I hate I, I hate keep bringing my age up against it, but when I was a teenager, Georgetown was the show nationally. TJ could tell you. Everybody there, wanted there wasn't a black there wasn't yeah. a black kid in the DMV in the eighties oh, that did not want to play at Georgetown. Doug, I'm from Harlem. Kyle Watson is a fictional character. Right. Like we had the Little East, and if you didn't play for Georgetown, you was a scrub. Okay, <laughs> like I get it, Doug. It was right. national. It wasn't right. just yeah. the so, DMV. I mean, I'm I'm from DC, born and raised, and I was in uh, sixth grade when I when I found out that Georgetown was an all black college. <laughs> just because they had a black coach. All, all black, black players and yeah. all black players. Yeah, you. I, I didn't know Georgetown wasn't all black. Wasn't. Wait, all black. How old did you say you were when you found that out? I was probably in sixth grade, twelve years old. I was in high school. <laughs> I came down, no real talk. I came down to the Kenner League, and I was like, "What is what is going on?" Like I was, I was confused. Yeah. I was in high school, and I came down to the Kenner League, watched my right. brother, and I was like, "What is?" What I mean, but, like but I was Chris, so let's, confused. Let's talk- Let's talk about the brand of Georgetown just back in the day. Starter jackets. There was only four schools on starter jackets. Mm-hmm. UNLV, Georgetown. What were the other two? North Carolina. And Duke. And Duke. Those were the four Georgetown starter jackets. Georgetown and UNLV, baby. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so if, if you take that and if you look at all the – and TJ, you can – if you look at all the kids that were – in our, you know, 86 to 89, 90, those four schools were probably on all the top 15 players in the country's list. Also, Big John, big coach, God rest his soul, could show up on the 12th hour and say to a kid from the DMV, oh, yeah, I want you to come to Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And everything stops after that. So, that you know, so that whole dynamic has changed as well, you know. Who else had their team mascot name on the back of their Nikes? Exactly. Exactly. What other school? Who, who had the little uh, Nike logo on the side of their T-shirts that they wore under their jerseys? Carolina had the Argyle, but you know, right? Georgetown had Hoyas on the back of the Nikes and <laughs> in, in their color. Like, right. So imagine me, a guy who's at one of the top high schools in the country, in the in the backyard of Gonzaga. I mean, of uh, Georgetown. Excuse me. And I'm sitting there, and I know that I can never go to Georgetown University. <clears throat> because of the relationship or lack thereof between Coach Wooten and and John Thompson, right. so that was always a, a big you know. Well, I can look at all the rest of the schools in the country, but I ain't going there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Even if they were interested in me, I'm not going there. Right. So, so Chris, the, yeah. So that that whole dynamic in the '80s, early '90s, it was it was unbelievable. You know, it was. I mean. I, I want to say his last national championship team, Coach Tom, or his last couple of teams, I want to say 75% of those players were from the DMV. And, you know, he was going from Richmond to Baltimore. And I'm going to put the best 12 players that I can find in that region. And we're going to play against everybody else in the country. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, if, if you had a team that did that now, like let's say in the last 15 years – all of the kids stayed home. Mm-hmm. I think that team would have won four national championships. I don't think I'm exaggerating. No, no. Like, I, let's start I, I mean, with, I with could, KD. I, yep. Let's start with KD. Yep. If you if you start with KD's year, he doesn't go to Texas. 
let's say he's at either Georgetown or Maryland and you keep every class you've seen the kids, mm-hmm. man, that would be because you've had Katie Oladipo Fultz as just, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Be- Beasley went to Kansas team. state, Delonte Hill went to, you know, Kansas, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, I think if Pat is able to get some of the hometown kids to come in and they continue on this trajectory, yeah. the old Georgetown field where they were the, the programs, uh, whether college or pro in mm-hmm. the DC area, right. he has a chance of being able to do that. Yeah. I know he has an outstanding recruiting class coming in next year mm-hmm. uh, to build on what he already, already has this year. Right. You know, if he can get back to getting those great players, He'll mm-hmm. get some more that you know, one or two every year in every class that go. stay home. There you go. Then that 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 old Georgetown appeal will that, definitely come back. Oh, and, absolutely. And he walks into a household right now. He's already won the parents because the parents were know who he is. Yeah, they they they, they knew the Georgetown of right. old. Yeah. When Big John God rest his soul was leading mm-hmm. them to uh, a championship and just terrorizing the league. Right. So you know they already won. The, the the battle of the parents. So exactly. Now it's just about winning the kids. And 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 that and that is one hundred percent right, TJ. For all the kids that you know, Trevor Kills is making his decision on April fourth. I've talked to uh, Roland is one of my closest friends. When <coughs> UVA, <Trevor's>, <coughs> UVA. Sorry, <coughs> uh-huh. sorry about when, that. When Trevor was going through his when his re- recruiting was actually picking up, and and Pat was doing an outstanding job with uh, Roland and Trevor. Roland told me, man, if it was me, it'd be Georgetown because, you know, I'm a Patrick. Like, he called me the first time that Patrick Ewing called him to say I'm offering Trevor a scholarship. And it was like he had offered Roland a scholarship. He was like, man, you ain't believe this. I just got off the phone with Patrick Ewing. Yeah, like, that's Patrick Ewing, you know? So, yeah, yeah. like you said, TJ, he's and, – and 90% of the time, he has won the parent because it's Patrick Ewing. Sure. You know? Yeah, I mean, Dikembe's son's going there next year, and right. uh, that five-star kid, Aminu Muhammad. So right. it's like once this next group of kids, you know what I've realized, Doug, and you can attest to this, our memories are so, you know, we're adults. We have, like, all these memories and these time periods. I remember talking to a football player. like Alabama LSU were going to play. And mm-hmm. I mentioned a football game from four years before. Michigan-Ohio State were number one and number two in the country. From four years before, and they were like, what is this guy talking about? Right. Hey, like, hey, Chris, what? I I just left the G League bubble, and of the twelve guys we had on the team, two of them will watch NBA games at night. What did they was, watch? Um, which was they unbelievable. Video games. Yeah, there's, there's video games, there's social media, it's, it's, the and I and I and Coach Hill used to always say to them guys. If, if you want to be a doctor, you go to one of the top medical schools and you sit and you learn from the best doctors in the world. You want to be a professional basketball player. You want to play in the NBA. There is a course that's free every <laughs> night on TV and you can't invest the two hours. And online. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Hey, 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 TJ, you know online. who's watching You're already games? online. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to tell you who's watching every single one of the games. Uh, rest his soul. Kobe Bryant used to watch. He used to text all go. the people on the set. And I'm like, oh, man, Kobe's watching right now. Yeah. And, and yeah. Damian Lillard. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. so yeah, Devin Booker, one of those, those guys. Yep, absolutely. Devin Bo- yeah. Those guys are watching. You know how I know they're watching because I will see the text messages like, "Oh, look what they say." <laughs> like I'm gonna watch what I say. Right. I ain't gonna be like that dude talking about Ben Simmons uh, uh, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, sir! Don't catch me set tripping on the mic. Right. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, one last thing I got for you, Doug, and then TJ, I'll let you uh, if you have anything you want to wrap it up with. You know, relationships as as a coach. Uh, mm-hmm. When I saw that Paul Hewitt was the head coach, it threw me back. So I was like, man, that was a while ago uh, mm-hmm. when he was in the ACC. Right. Maintaining, keeping relationships a- as a coach, how important is that as you go through the ranks and, like I said, get this opportunity in the G League? It, it, it's, it's huge because, I mean, what how Coach Hewitt and I relationship started was very um, – it was organic, you know, he, he was the head coach at Mason and he was uh, recruiting <clears throat> a couple of takeover kids. And one of my good friends, Eric Skeeter was his assistant coach. So I was coaching at Paul the six at the time. So Mason and Paul the six are, you know, basically around the corner from one another. So I would go over to Mason and watch practice. And then coach Hill would invite me to the locker room when he would, you know, do film sessions with the team and, then it became going to lunch, then it became text messaging. And then he became, when he got let go of the Clippers, I mean, when he got let go of Mason, you know, he didn't know what his next move was. So he would come to my takeover practices and sit and evaluate players and, you know, give me a nugget, you know, now and then about coaching. And it just kind of developed. He became a scout from the Clippers. And when he came to town, we always met. Whenever he came to town, he would always call and we would meet for lunch and he'll go to a Maryland game or a Georgetown game. And, this opportunity came and he said, Hey, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a coach in the G league and I want you to be one of my coaches. I value you as a basketball coach. Um, and I want to be around people for the next 60 days that I enjoy being around because it is a tedious and Mm -hmm. it is a exhausting experience to be with the same 20 people all day, every day for 60 consecutive days. It's, it's, is, is jail-ish, you know, but the, <laughs> the only difference is I had cable TV and I had my cell phone in my room, but you, you, you want to be around people that, you know, are like-minded. Um, so it was, so that, you know, that part of the relationship benefits, you know, I, I, I can say this, that another one of my close friends, Dwayne Killians, just got the Albany job this morning. I've been on the phone with him most of the morning, you know, talking to him about his staff, talking to him about players that he can possibly get and just, and this is a relationship that was formed when he was at Temple recruiting a, you know, takeover kids from 2013. So it, it's it, it, basketball. You never get a job based on your resume. In basketball, you get a job based on who you know and who can speak for you. Doug, you are, as we wrap it up here, man, it's been fantastic catching up with you, but you a DC area guy. So, <laughs> you know, I got, I got to, I got to give you the DC area rundown. All right. All right. You got a friend that's coming into town and said, mm-hmm. Doug, I want to experience DC food. Mm-hmm. What are you telling them to go get? Ben's Chili Bowl. <laughs> Ben's Chili Bowl. Hands down. Yeah. Hands, hands down. Hands, I mean, if Number Florida one. Avenue Grill was what it used to be, it would be Florida Avenue Grill, but hands down, it's Ben's Chili Bowl. Doug, I'm, I'm slightly disappointed with you because I'm thinking you was going to say Eddie Leonard's Bumbo Wings. Uh, the uh, Eddie Leonard's out. The Eddie Lennox aren't what they used to be. They got drag, they got a lunch mat these Eddie Lennox. 
right, same friend. Same friend says, hey, I, I want to experience D.C. culture. Uh-huh. I want to, uh, you know, where should I go to experience D.C. culture? I would say two, so two things. I would say that put your finest clothes on and go to uh, 14th and Park uh, <laughs> on a Friday or Saturday night for one. Okay. And then the second thing is I would say during the day on a Saturday or Sunday, just staying on the corner of Wisconsin and M Street and kind of watch the city go by. You know, I think those are two things that I would definitely tell somebody coming to the area. Fantastic. Fantastic. Doug, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, brother. It's been too long. Sure. Definitely a fan of yours, and I appreciate you spending a little time with us. We wish you wish you nothing but continued success in your endeavors, and we look forward to seeing you uh, coaching that NBA roster here the next five years. I hope so. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And Doug, man, when I when I invited you to the baseball game, I, I I have to admit, I did not know you were such an accomplished coach. I was like, this guy seems cool. Let's get to the game, man. So that is it's hilarious. So I'm sitting there reading your resume. I'm like, oh, I was blind on this one, man. So like I said, like TJ just said, congratulations. Uh, and I appreciate it. And more success for you in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys.